day, former colonists. Pip-pip, cheerio, spam and eggs, Dave Clark 5, meat and two veg. As you can tell by my spot-on British accent, we are going to be discussing the proper way to take a loss in the Revolutionary War on the chin with the stiff upper lip. Oh, no, wait, no, British TV shows. Oh. I think British TV shows would be better. I'm Zach. Rob's here. Hi, Mrs. Peel. We are needed. And... We've talked a little about American TV, American movies, whatnot, but today we figured we'd hop across the pond and talk more British stuff because there are a lot of British shows. Many are very, very good. A lot of good comedies. Only problem is some aren't. I have a view on British shows. This is my own view. Take it if you like it or not. I either really like them or I can't stand them. Whereas some American shows, they're entertaining. I know they're not good. But British shows, I either get really into them or they are gone. Right. And that's the problem I have. It's it's hit and miss. It's either I'll watch it or I can't stand it. For me, it was always the British comedies. And mind you, we're, we're sticking to not just BBC, all British TV because that would kind of narrow it down and show switch networks and there are two shows we want to make special mention the prisoner doctor who they will be covered later because there's a lot of stuff we can cover in those especially doctor who doctor who's been around for how long still what, going the, the 1960s 19 actually it debuted in america well it debuted on britain but when america jfk was shot that's well known with doctor who to be on that day on that day oh wow See, that I didn't know. Yes. Uh, For me, it's comedies. The first one I can actually remember seeing, I would come home from school and watch PBS, and we would get Are You Being Served? No, I wasn't being served. No, but But that one, for those who have never seen Are You Being Served, it's comedy set in a British department store. Grace Brothers. Grace Brothers department store. They have all the different people from all the different departments they begin with them infighting, and then all of a sudden it's just, it's ridiculous. It's the characters ridiculous. are great. They're Mis- completely I, over the top. Yes, men's wear. Yeah, the characters are completely over the top. Uh, what the hell was the guy in men's wear? Mr. Humphreys. Mr. Humphreys. At first, they didn't like his character, if no. I recall. They said get rid of the puff, but he turned out to be the most popular yeah. character on the show. And there's Mrs. Slocum with yeah. my pussy. Yeah, would you care to pet my pussy? And it's just silly, and the thought was nobody would care about these characters, but it went on for something like 12 years or so. It kept coming back. Well, there was Are You Being Served, and then there was Are You Being Served Again. What happened was Mr. Grace passed away, and I guess he passed away in real life as well, and they went on to work on a farm. Yes, it was a farm. Was that Are You Being Served Again? Yes, on on Are You Being Served Again with Mabel Moulterd and Mr. Mavis Moulterd. God. It, only, it only ran a year. It had its moments. It wasn't as good. It was just good to see the old faces. Right, and I and we were talking about this a while ago, about how some shows do reunion shows. The only problem is all the cast, the main cast is dead. Pretty much. I mean, that's the thing. Some shows, it's amazing how they're still around. Others, like them, it's like the Beatles and the Stones. Somehow Keith abides. We 
he's going to outlive us all. What you but gonna- one of the ones, the first show I know this is the first BBC show I ever saw was The Avengers. This was not the ones fighting Thanos. It was John Steed and Mrs. Peel, even though the show ran probably, started on radio, ran at least 12 years. And John Steed, played by Patrick McNee, is a unique character in my view. That's why I don't think the movie with Ray Fiennes could work because nobody else could play him really. But it got big in America when Emma Peel was on, was played by Dame Diana Rigg. But he had many partners before. He started with a male partner, then it was Honor Blackman, and then she left, and then Diana Rigg came out for two seasons. And it was just, the way Steed played, he played Steed, Patrick Nee played him. He was an elegant gentleman, but he was also dangerous. The plots were very interesting. They were all over the map, sort of sci-fi, horror, spy drama. And then actually two of the Stars left. Diana Rigg left to be in a James Bond movie. The same reason Honor Blackman. I was going to say, left. wasn't Honor Blackman a Bond girl? She was in well? Goldfinger, and then Diana Rigg was in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. She was James Bond's wife. Oh, the non the non canon James Bond movie. No, that was counts as canon. Which was the one that wasn't canon? Uh, it was Never Say Never Again. That's it. I knew it was one. And of them. Casino Royale, the comedy too. Well, that was. That was a great one. That James Bond is another topic. For yes, another obviously. Day. Now that was the Avengers. Do you remember uh, what was the one with Joanna Lumley? Thunderbirds. Yeah, the New Avengers. Well, there was, was one. There was one called oh, no, the New, New Avengers. Avengers. What happened was Patrick Nee came back, but he was more advising the younger agents. Yeah. And then there Thunderbirds, was... they had drink that's really cheap that you buy at the liquor oh, stores when you don't no. have any money. No, don't even. But they had there was. I never actually watched Thunderbirds, but I've heard enough references. I've seen them. It. They're little puppets, aren't they? think so i really don't remember i think they are the, like the little puppet guys or whatever i don't know and then they had the the robot in the car like the like 28 foot long car with the 23 wheels one thing something. we'd be remiss to mention we have to dedicate the show to the memory of tinker dell from a great uh, show from a, the great show lovejoy that i actually discovered very recently i think it was because of you yeah because we're both ian mcshane fans who doesn't love ian mcshane and we found this show Lovejoy. Since we're talking about it, he is um, a antique dealer, a little on the shady side, I would say. Uh, basically, this, this guy, all he wants to do is go through his life and get antiques, fleece people with antiques, flirt with women, flirt with women, sleep with women. But he always ends up in these random adventures, getting involved with the Russians, the uh, the Chinese mafia, and a. Cato uh, le- from yeah the Pink legendary Panther films. Bert Kwok, Cato from the Pink Panther movies had a cameo in two episodes. Uh, but in one of the characters, his advisor, old army guy or British army guy, always wore tweed. Tinker Dill, unfortunately, recently passed away. And we had Eric Catchpole too. Yeah, but and I, I guess they're a lot more quirky than the novels. A lot funnier, but it's just fun. He's sort of a bad guy, but he. Fleece's worst well, guy. That's the thing. He's a he's a he's quote unquote villain, but he's a villain you could actually get behind because he's not. And a total I was dick. surprised because I'd heard of this show for years. I thought it was a detective show, which yeah, it is not. But he's not a detective. And it gets funnier an and funnier. Theater. I think would you say oh, so? It's crazy. Season. I just finished season five. There were six seasons, and season five was ridiculous. You want really funny though? Faulty Towers. The the thing about Faulty Tower. Do you remember they were going to bring it over to the U.S. and remake it? I've heard that, but I've never seen it. But the it. problem, well, it never happened because the character they wanted to get rid of was Basil Fawlty. Well, didn't it, for anybody who's never seen the show, Basil Fawlty was, was played Cleese. by John Cleese, was, owned a hotel called Fawlty Towers, and everything went wrong. All the time. 
And the story, there's a story behind this, and I heard this from John Cleese in person myself, so I hope it's true. The person he based it on, they were, Monty Python was staying in a hotel in Wales, and the hotel owner was Basil, basically. He had this idea that everything was fine about owning a hotel except for the customers. <clears throat> and he said, this guy was Basil. The, the person's daughter actually said, this is my dad. But what happened years later, they wanted to talk to the gentleman about the show. He wouldn't even talk to them. And she said, that's dear old dad right there. Well, because they didn't run very long. What, one season, one John season? Cleese got tired of it. They talked about doing a second season with Manuel, the manservant. He came into a hotel in Spain, and suddenly Basil comes and works for him. But John Cleese had that he quit Monty Python after four years because he just got bored. I think we should talk about Monty Python. Oh, yes. The Flying Circus. That was just, which also, which then spawned. So many great movies, uh, Monty Python, The Holy Grail. Holly for Brian, Life which is Brian. the number one British comedy and is the reason Handmade Films came about because George Harrison on the phone to Graham Chapman said, nobody will make this movie. I read the script. I want to see this movie. I'll pay for it. What was the other big one? That he Meaning did? of Life, which Meaning is not, life. which is one for me. I didn't really enjoy that one as much. I, did, I didn't enjoy it. Had I probably seen it before, Holy Grail, it would have been a lot better. I don't know. I've tried that one. I admit I've really never been a fan of. But Monty Python's Flying Circus was, uh, what, sketch? Not yes, really sketch absurdist comedy. Absurdist sketch comedy. And it was a lot bigger in America. That's what a lot of people don't understand. A lot of Brits found them too posh humor-wise. All the college kids liked it, but it was a lot bigger. I used to watch it on PBS. And actually, now also thinking about it, did that not spawn the, the musical Spamalot? Yes, which I think they've... I know Neil Innes is very mad about that. He actually played one of Robin's minstrels in it because Eric Idle, I think, did something about the royalties, but it spawned Spamalot. Yes, it's yeah. the same thing. Because I remember that, that thing where they were going to the castle. Spam, 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 spam. Oh, yes. Spam, spam, spam. All right. I owe the that's BBC actually $5. In, no, but that's that's actually one of the ones in episodes not in Holy Grail. Yeah. But one of the ones I like, Masterpiece Theater, and you can't do, say, Masterpiece Theater in general because it's all everything else. But one of the ones that I remember from years ago was I, Claudius. And this is a story. It's from Robert Graves' book about the early Caesars. And it starts off actually in the age of Augustus or Octavius, and it runs all the way through Claudius. And the thing is, you find out these people are gangsters, for goodness sake. And the thing is, I found I came to really like Caligula the best because he was just outright insane and made no beans about it. But they're all poisoning each other, backstabbing each other. I never watched Masterpiece Theater. Did it actually have the beginning with, like, the harpsichord and the guy in the leather this, armchair? This one would have a snake running across a picture of uh, an old fresco of Claudius. Well, I mean, like, just but the, yes, they the, would do the, that a lot, though, it, too. The guy in the smoking jacket. Yes, and Welcome I'm... To Masterpiece was, it, was it Peter Grace for a while, even? Or not? Uh, no, they're probably confusing that. I can't remember the host. I think Diana Rigg hosted Mystery, which is another show like that. No, I never, I never caught it. I, it was something I was aware of, but I never actually saw. You were more the comedy person, like Black yes, Adder, Black right? Adder, which was hilarious. I think probably some of Rowan Atkinson's. Who's your favorite? Black Adder follows the title character through three incarnations: the first, second, and third. Because I think yeah, the, there was. I think Black Adder the third might be. He's sort of the sneaky guy down in Queen Elizabeth's court and everything. Yeah, and it's Rowan Atkinson who is. Also, probably most well known in this country, especially for Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean, but Johnny I Johnny English. If you have a movies. favorite, I actually like the second incarnation. I think the second the or the third. Because for me, the favorite episode is the Master of Disguise, yeah. and when he kills 
This guy dressed as a cow, Queen Elizabeth, who's played by Miranda Richardson in an early role. You're a naughty boy. You killed, you killed mother. And he said, it wasn't mother. And how do you know? Because she wore a cow outfit. Well, the one person is the master of skies. The other person is the daft old woman on the edge of sanity. Then she comes out in this horrible cow outfit. Moo. Well, it's really fun. It's probably the best episode. I mean, yeah. a lot of the episodes are really funny. But And then later on in Black Edward 3, Tom Baker, maybe yep, the best Tom doctor Baker. ever, played Captain Rum. I remember Tom Baker in... And you know, he Edward actually played third. Sherlock Holmes in one thing? There was special on... Did? Yes, on BBC, he played Sherlock Holmes. But that goes into Sherlock. That goes into Sherlock. The, is it still running or is yes, it over? Yes, uh, Cumberbatch said he would do it as long as they do it. They only do a couple episodes. Yeah, that's, and that's another thing about British TV. They tend to, you know, in the U.S., we tend to run epi- seasons for 20 to 23 episodes. They get 6 to 10. Are You Being Served ran for multiple years, and I think the total episodes is around 70, and it ran from... Probably around 1970 to the early 80s. Or like, you know, like the old Adams Family in the U.S. It had two seasons, but it ran for, what, 120-some hundred yeah. and some episodes because it had 40 to 50 a season. But there is a lot of diversity in this, too, because one of Zach's favorites is Sir David Attenborough. And we could go on for the rest of the episode about his titles. Well, yeah, all the letters he has after his last name. But that's another thing that the BBC especially does well is nature documentaries. I think they probably have some of the best nature cameramen in the business. Uh, Blue Planet, Blue Planet 2, and I think he's, I think Sir Attenborough's working on another project? He's always working on something. I know, I heard even he's, what, in his late 80s? Well, the photography in this is just incredible, yeah. though. I mean, really, it's, I don't know how they do it. But, I mean, they have some of the best, the best out there. Well, you like a lot of the documentaries on the, I like, do. Top Gear, certainly. Top Gear, that's, well, that's... And explain that, how it is about... It's about cars, Top but it's Gear, really funny. It's, uh, formerly BBC, I don't watch it anymore since the the original hosts were removed. And then they since switched to Amazon and do a show called The Grand Tour. But Top Gear, it's originally started off kind of as a car show where they would talk about cars, give advice on buying them, what's coming out, things like that. But then they just started to get silly and they would do different challenges like uh, you know, what's the best car you could get that you could legally drive for 100 in, in since it's the UK 100 pounds and then they had to drive it from somewhere in southern England up to northern England and back to see if it actually worked. And then basically just try to destroy the car and see wh- who got the best deal. Uh, other ones, like... One know. of the ones, a couple of the ones I cracked up because they're always getting stuck, but, like, the one where they go to Vietnam and they wipe out on the motorcycles and they're always getting stuck going down one way. Yeah, or build, the, build your own amphibious car that's good enough to cross And then the almost better is when they're in the studio and they're talking about it. And they're just hilarious. And you remember, what are their names? Do you know? Because well, I actually am blanking. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson was the host. He was actually the one that got fired. The... Other two, James May and Richard, um, Jesus Christ, I just blanked on his name, Richard Hammond. No, he was the son of God. Yeah, sorry. No, Richard Hammond. They left in the show of solidarity with Clarkson, and they ended up on Amazon. Now, do you have a favorite guest star on there? Because they have some really funny oh, ones. No, there, there's too many. I mean, Well, they, like David Tennant. David Tennant was on there. Billy Piper was on there. Which we knew an unfortunate nickname for David Tennant. We don't want to repeat. Well... That will come up in the Doctor Who episode, but they they just got, and the the celebrities would would argue over who would 
you know, go on there. Patrick Stewart was on there uh, once or twice back in the the early days of it. Michael Gambon, who was famous for um, a lot of things, he became Dumbledore. He became too. Dumbledore when I am right, am I? Yes, he, no, he became Potter. Dumbledore when the first actor when Richard Harris him, died. When Richard Harris died, but he was also in um, I think Layer Cake. He's been in a lot of movies. You see him around. Yeah, I think did he, did he play the guy in Braveheart too? I think the one the one guy who sort of betrayed him or was like the no. one king or something. I don't think that doesn't matter. It's yeah, that doesn't episode. matter. Guys, sometimes doing this, I feel like I'm in the village and yeah. I can't get out. That which would bring us to a show we're going to, to probably do a fuller episode if we ever can yeah. grasp its understanding. The prisoner. Would you like to explain what that's about a little bit? If I could, it's what was it? it's basically it's a sequel to Danger Man. Danger Man with. What the hell's his name? Patrick McGee. Patrick, Patrick McGee. No, Patrick McGowan. I'm thinking yeah, of the guy from Clockwork Orange. And he's a retired... He wanted. He was a spy in Danger Man. He wanted to get out of the business. They couldn't let him leave because of the information he knew. So they gassed him. And you will see this in the beginning of the show, which is the longest intro I've ever seen into a show, where he's going to his apartment and they gas him and yeah, haul him gas, away. They gas him through the mail slot, haul him away to this place called The Village, where he is the prisoner. And it is goofy as hell. I've been told you can watch it in any order. Yeah, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. But what is it? he's always trying to fight... Who was the bad guy? Number two? Number you, one? You were number six. Yeah, you were number six. I'm not a number. I'm a free man. But there was a different number two or number one every time, and there was one repeat. Yeah. I can't remember who the it was. The sad part about it is I have met Rover, who is the killer bouncing ball, and in yeah. reality, he's a gentleman, wouldn't you say so? He was very soft-spoken, just stood there with an air of quiet dignity about him. But he's the giant ball who sort of keeps him in the village yeah, and goes bouncing around. If people start to escape, there's this giant ball who just bounces and absorbs you and you end up back in the... But it's actually, you get into it when you start watching it. You I really got hooked do. on it. I, I couldn't figure you out why I got watching going, What the hell is going on? I remember one with a bunch of clowns in it. That was creepy. And I still don't... But one thing I will warn you, and I love Surrey and McCallum, but do not watch the remake. No. And that's another thing. Speaking of sh- British shows that had remakes, uh, Life on Mars that I found and then told you about. The British show, very good. The American version just don't even don't even try. The British show, it's set in the year two thousand four, which was the time they actually made it. There's a police officer who gets struck by a car and ends up and he ends up back in the year what nineteen seventy three. Yes. So he's going through nineteen seventy three, thinking he's dead. Turns out, spoiler alert, he's in a coma, and he's trying to figure out a crime. He has to solve a crime in the past to prevent somebody in the present from killing him. It's very good. Philip Glenister plays the... The Philip Glenister the, role. If you the, know about Philip Glenister, he plays the same type of characters. How would you describe the, him? The bitter, jaded, hard-nosed dick cop boss. There's one episode in particular where they go undercover at a pub and he tries to get information from these soccer guys... The hooligans, so to speak, in yeah, it. It was a, and he's drinking with them, and they're asking him, "He's what did he say about drinking with them?" Like, he's like, I, "I can drink them all under the table. You ruined everything because he pulled them out because he thought he was getting drunk." And it's not a sci-fi f- series. No, That's, it's the just reason a, Life on Mars. It's the Bowie song. The soundtrack is very good. Yeah, it's just a cop drama. It's really good. Has a good ending too. 
very gutty twist. But it's a good one. I thought it didn't end where you're, come on. It's... Yeah, because you asked me how it ends. You asked me, does it have an ending? I said, yeah, it does. And you, you weren't disappointed. And the main character is played by John Sim, who, if you've ever seen him, makes a very good version of the master in the new Doctor Who. Yeah. And I think he would make a good Doctor. But if you watch Life on Mars, try to couple it with the, with a series called Prey. This series has John Sim and Philip Glenister, though they're not in it at the same time. If you've ever seen the American series True Detective, this is not based on it, but it's the same thing where it's episodic. The first season, second season, they're different, but it's the same show. And in the first season, John Sim is a police officer who is framed. He spends the whole season trying to clear his name. And he's just very good. He's John Sim-like, where he's sort of arrogant, sort of on the edge. Yeah. He's almost always getting caught. It's almost like the fugitive. In the second season, there's Philip Glenister, and Philip Glenister is Philip Glenister, pretty much. It is his daughter's being stalked by a creeper, and he takes matters into his own hands. Yeah, because the American one, I think, first season was Woody Harrelson. Yes, uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it. I've the first one's good, good, but that's for another thing. I've heard it's pretty good. I haven't watched it yet. But you also like Wolf Hall, though, too. I don't know why I thought of Wolf Hall. I thought of Philip Glenister, because there's actually some series, which we can't talk about because I've not seen it, where he probably plays Philip Glenister in the Middle Ages, but you did like Wolf Hall well, Wolf Hall was uh, what Sir Mark Rylance, uh, he of... Dunkirk, Dunkirk and how many other things? A lot of other things, but it's basically a, an old political drama from the days of Henry the days of Henry the Eighth, and I believe with not that Cromwell, a different Cromwell, no. who's a lawyer. Yeah, the, it was not Oliver Cromwell. Thomas it? Thomas Cromwell, who was a, a distant relative of Oliver Cromwell, the scourge of what, whatever New England. <laughs> I think he was, you know, he was so bad they. Dug him up two years after he was dead, beheaded his corpse, or hung his corpse, beheaded him, and buried his corpse again. But I like those historical drama series. Uh, Wolf Hall was very good. It was five, six episodes? Six, I think. Six episode miniseries. If you don't like history, you're not going to like it, so don't even bother. But one of the ones I want to pull out like that, it's not history, but it's one of those series you probably have not heard of. It's a little more obscure, but it does star Peter Davison, who's been, besides Doctor Who, All Creatures Great and Small. It's called The Last Detective, and he's The Last Detective. And the irony of the show is, why is it called The Last Detective? Because they consider him so inept and bumbling when nobody else wants the case, it goes to him. So kind of like a who's Harry Crumb? Or a Clouseau or something. But in the end, he finds a way to solve it all the time. Well, that's what it is. And like, it's really, he's really funny because he underplays the role and he just bumbles along. But all of a sudden, he's got that knowledge to him at the end where, you know, he's smarter than he leads on to. And it's very entertaining. Yeah. It's a period piece, so it's like in the 1920s. Okay, I've heard of it. I know. Well, Davidson's been in a lot. I used to. I think I yeah. first saw him as Tristan Farnan in All Creatures Great and Small, which was based on the James Harriet books, where he's a vet in England in the 1930s and 1940s. And Tristan's sort of the never do well brother of Siegfried Farnan, who James Harriet works for. He's always drunk and passed up. But the series is neat. Yeah, My I mom the loved series. the series, the episode about Blossom the Cow, where he's going to take it to the slaughterhouse. It gets away, comes back home, and says, Well, I will keep it now. <laughs> But have you ever seen it? It's actually I've seen bits and pieces. Never actually. Sat and there's down a difference where he comes back from the war. He's sort of shaken, and it gets a little more serious. Yeah. Uh, but that's the thing, especially when I was growing up. I always really tended to go more for the comedy part. Well, there's one that I really like and recommend. And it's difficult. I don't think 
I don't think any of these shows translate well onto American TV when they try to do them. They really can't. But this one especially, it's called One Foot in the Grave, and it's about oh, this guy who's basically, the they admit he's a loser. And when it starts off with, he gets laid off from his <laughs> civil servant job, and he's home, and he's just, nothing ever goes right for them. And that's what the series is about, almost. And what happens in it, it's very funny, but it's also, it gets very, very dark, too. And it manages to do that weird, that balance the line about aging, seeing your life go by, and you've never really achieved what you wanted to achieve, but there's still comedy in it. But it's just, that fine line is so hard to do right, but I love the show. So I've heard you mention it. I haven't actually seen it, and I always get it confused with, uh, what's that Danny Boyle movie, Shallow Grave? It's not anything no, like I, that. No, but just whenever you say one foot in the grave, that's where my mind goes instantly, and that's incorrect. Well, some of them are tougher to, like, I wouldn't say it's as difficult as The Prisoner, but Red Dwarf is a favorite, isn't it? Oh, Lord. Who does, Red Dwarf, one of the greatest sci-fi shows of all time. Not just British ones, but... Basically, it's about... I can't even... It's about I, I won't even do it justice. Red so. Dwarf, where everybody dies, but one person, and then he's joined by an obnoxious hologram and a person who's mutated from a cat. Yeah. And a computer. And it changes over the years. There's 10 years of it. If you watch it in the middle, you are going to say, what the heck is going on? Yeah, that's one you actually do kind of have to watch from the beginning. Because what happens is they go off and doodle bug, star bug it's actually called, their little shuttle for a couple. There's seasons where this... The crew comes back. They get closed somehow. Yeah. But then at the end, it shifts back to the re- beginning. And the early episodes, I kind of liked the best, which is them. Yeah. And there's, like, Lister, and there's Rimmer, old Rimsey there. And there's one episode, he's the hologram, where one of his selves, who's heroic, comes to a time vortex. And he realizes this is the most pathetic incarnation of Rimmer there is out of all the <laughs> galaxies. Oh, God. That... And- it's one of the best I'm shows. I'm still waiting though. for that show to drop in price. Yeah, it's one of those. And they end up with the movie. They finish the series. Again, it's a British show, so it would stop, it would start, it would stop, it would start. But then they just finished season 10 as a film. Yeah. Well, I, actually, on that note, uh, absolutely fabulous. Good old Ab Fab. It, I always thought it wouldn't work in America. It didn't. It didn't, and it didn't work in the modern times because it came out in, what, the 90s? Yes. Essentially, you have two... Patsy and Adina, Patsy who and Joanna, Adina, Lumley, Joanna Lumley mentioned. And, um, Jennifer Saunders. Thank you. Good God, I blanked on her name. And they are just overly prim and proper, but incredibly narcissistic... Train wrecks. Train wrecks. <laughs> just trying to go through life. Everybody's wrong. They're right. And they did a movie last year, so you're looking 20-some-odd years and after I the fact. And I have to say it was it did, terrible. It did not translate. They became politically correct. That was the whole thing about the show was they were not. They were obnoxious. They were over the top. They were silly. Yeah. And this was tame. It just wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. And, and it was sad because I li- I really liked that show. And to get it back after all those years and then seeing what it became. And just... you have to mention the, the incredible Jane Horrocks' Bubble. Oh, yeah. She was, her voice just kind of grated right through. And my I watched skull. it. And I saw Life Is Sweet, the movie, and I'm looking. Is that Bubble? Yeah. It's like saying, is that Poodles? Yeah. Is and that it was. And I watch every year. I still watch the New Year's Eve episode. Yeah. Which is just really. It's they're all funny. It's one of the best shows ever. And unfortunately, it had its time. They did occasionally fabulous where they would come back, but they yeah, just it, it's, it's just, not the same anymore. Well, I mean, we've talked. Comedy. They do comedy. They do cop drama. 
Uh, there's a lot more cop drama stuff to talk. Did they ever do any uh, legal shows that I can I can't remember any? A Rumpole of the Baileys, John Mortimer, and I remember. I'd love to comment on it, but I wish I had a lawyer around or something because uh, I never saw it. Yeah, or somebody did. Yeah, I wonder. I always wondered how it translated to the actual practice of law. And remember, we had pitched this idea of having somebody from the legal profession watch a movie and talk about i wish we oh god he is here our sponsor is here oh he looks mad yeah he looks angry because because he he's falling asleep in his chair he's no, been no, silent no. for a half hour he's angry because you guys lured me here and another guest who i guess you introduce at some point in time under false pretenses yes you told us that we'd be in front of a live studio audience i see nobody in this big building the only person we hear was a was a security guard. You have oh, Duke Ellington yeah. right Oh, yeah, Duke Ellington somewhere. But he's not alive. The only person, a security guard let us in look like Jim Ignatowski from Taxi. But the Rev. We're here. Be that as it may. But, yes, our sponsor, he of the Upsitnik and Associates Law Offices that I so expertly do the plugs for. It's their for anniversary this year, isn't it's it? It's a big anniversary coming up, but we'll get to that. I actually pitched it to you not that long ago, or maybe it was a while ago, I can't even remember, the movie Anatomy of a Murder, the great uh, Jimmy Stewart legal classic, I believe is the birthplace of the, well, I'm just a small country lawyer. And I asked, how close is it, with you being a lawyer, how close is it to actual practice of law? You were able to watch it, and I'd like to, we'd like to know your thoughts. Okay, well, give me a couple of minutes. Yeah. First, why this movie, which is from 1959, as opposed to any one of, of dozens of, of, of other legal movies I think that because, culminate in a trial. I think because the reason was it was the last legal movie, trial movie I saw before the idea hit me. Okay. That's, That's probably not the only I mean, it's reason. A, it's a good movie. I'd never yeah. seen it. And that was a good uh, movie. In my wheelhouse because it's black and white. Uh, let me take a couple seconds and set the stage for those that have yes, not please. seen it. If you haven't, I encourage you to go see it. Do what I did. Go to your library and get it as part of your library uh, membership. Uh, it's from 1959, as Zach said. Stars Jimmy Stewart, Ben Gazzara as the uh, Jimmy Stewart is the uh, sort of the uh, low key, uh, partially retired attorney. Ben Gazzara as a uh, the defendant, who's an army lieutenant, who uh, killed a man who raped his wife. The wife is a very promiscuous young uh, Lee Remick. The prosecutor is a sort of a forgettable the district attorney but this guy realizing that he might be in over his head dealing with jimmy stewart brings in a young uh assistant attorney general state prosecutor a uh, young suave aggressive george c scott so you have some real luminaries there um, it takes place in the upper peninsula of michigan and um, as we said a bar owner rapes uh, gazera's wife lee remick he, about an hour later, walks to the bar, Gazera does, shoots the bar owner, charged with murder. He asks Jimmy Stewart to represent him. Stewart, having lost as the district attorney, lost his reelection in sort of a semi-retired fashion, spending more time fishing and practicing law. There are more similarities than differences. So let me start with the differences. Starting with, and, and Rob actually mentioned this uh, this great musician, um, I've been working, practicing law for 40 years, been a lot of places, done a lot of things. My day, of, my day has never been uh, accompanied by a Duke Ellington score, unlike this movie. That's one uh, difference. 
leaving aside the the stylistic things from the the 50s and nothing better than seeing a jury packed with men in suits and women in dresses. That doesn't happen anymore, but they're still just as intent and true to their oath. Let let me say that. Um, The the big differences are things that were done for dramatic license. Too many cheesy courtroom stunts where they're not really rebuked or admonished by the judge. The judge is more mild-mannered than than any judge I've tried a case in front of in terms of... uh, calling people to a halt, threatening contempt, or finding people in contempt. Uh, Too many in terms of the... But it's necessary for the movie to flow. There are generally a lot of sidebars and in-chambers on a lot of these issues that were argued in in the courtroom or uh, right in front of the jury. Um, George C. Scott especially gets inches from the face of Lee Remick and another female witness and as he accuses them in very, very aggressive, over-the-top cross-examination. That would not happen. That's never happened. That would not happen in a real courtroom. It wouldn't take too long for the uh, the, the other attorney to object and the judge to back the, uh, the attorney off. Witnesses have their, uh, have their space. Um, honestly, those are the major differences. The, the, the case is pretty true to litigation and to the practice of law. This case is won by Jimmy Stewart on behalf of the defendant who pleads temporary insanity because of a lot of legwork. Stewart and his staff, a broken down alcoholic lawyer and a loyal secretary, went out and did their legwork. They went out and interviewed people and found records and did things, got an army psychiatrist to examine Gazera, and in the practice of law, in my 40 years of experience, 40 years this month, preparation wins cases far more than courtroom theatrics. And neither, I've never tried a case where the uh, attorneys have been as uh, polished and as glib and as quick as Scott and, and Stewart. Zach, you, you mentioned that Stewart near the end says, well, I'm just a country lawyer. Yeah, just a small country the, uh, lawyer trying to go the, against this the, big, big shot from the big city of from, Lansing. Yeah, from, from downstate Lansing, the state capital. And that's a that's a stunt that I think any young well, no, attorney I'm, uses a couple times. Yeah. Then it gets to the point when, uh, you know, the, the hair gets gray and the, the paunch is there. Uh, that doesn't work anymore. But uh, they... The real practice of law, things are a little more halting. It takes time for exhibits. It right. doesn't flow like that. I mean, you're not going to try that, a, court, a case in two One and thing, I'm talking from a position of ignorance, which I do on here all the time anyways, but well, for me... I've I understand. I'm, I'm an avid listener. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought, and I'm not in this field, I've been on jury duty a few times, but for me, what I thought was authentic, out of all the pictures I've seen, was Fred Gwynn and my cousin Vinny as a judge. Yeah. I thought he was more, look, this court's serious. The way he tried to play it was more serious. Oh, it, not to be yeah. messed around, not you to mess around. Well, it, Mr. Gambini. My, my cousin Vinny was a comedy, a great comedy. Yeah. That I'm glad you mentioned that. There are continuing legal education courses, we in Pennsylvania need credits, where they play that movie and use excerpts um, as part of a class where, uh, what's the phrase, uh, you know, you mean your grits cook faster, your your stove yeah, defies the laws of physics. Defies the laws you know of that. physics, yeah. Well, I enjoyed so that because they didn't make them out as country bumpkins. They're smart. Yeah. He tells Vinny, look, this is a court of law. We've got to be serious. Yeah. But the that, two youths. But that was played for calm. Yeah. Right. It, but it, Anatomy of a murder wasn't. But I'm saying the judge who was a visiting judge 
was a little too low-key, he'd be barking at people. He'd right. be bringing a gavel done. He'd be sending the jury out. He'd be dragging the, the Yeah, the but again, for dramatic in, license, you have to have that kind well, of pushover But related to that, just a quick question. In terms of legal movies, what's the biggest stereotype that pops up that you see that's always wrong? It's just not true. Is there any or not? Man, I'm thinking. I can't think uh, of You know what? What we mentioned, that, that attorneys are that quick on their feet that glib, continuously uh, polished and continuously moving along. There's plenty of sitting down at the end of an examination of a witness, Director Cross, asking the court, can I have a few moments to examine my notes? It, the pace is slowed down. The well, pace probably is for dramatic more, license because it would be boring to right. watch the movie where we're waiting for him to look through his right, notes. Right, and that's, <laughs> that's why it's a movie. Now, real life is not particularly I think I wish more people accent, realize that. You know, the trial's not going to conclude in, in two and a half hours. But there were a lot of similarities. I mentioned the, uh, the legwork and preparation. Uh, the first fellow that I practiced with 40 years ago, uh, the late John J. Hickton, yeah. who was district attorney in the, in the Pittsburgh area for a bit, and I learned more not of what hmm. not what not to do than what to do. Hmm. On his dictating machine, he had a, a little sign: "Every case can be won dash preparation." And it's preparation. I, and that I think maybe if you've seen it or not, the one show I saw on TV was called Murder One. What they did. They took one case that was the whole season, so they tried to show the preparation, how the trial went, try to meet, be more authentic. And I think that might, if you've ever seen that show or looked up, see it, it. get it at the library. Okay. One season it didn't last long because people didn't get it because a season was one case, and they tried to go through the process how on every side how it okay. worked. And I thought it was more realistic as far as well. Yes, we had more time. In a, in, a, in a related vein, I'm going to digress, but you cut me off if you want. This this current edition of the podcast serial deals with the year in the Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County Courthouse in Cleveland following not individual cases, but also just the vibe and how things go. In criminal cases, more pleased than anything else, and, and, and that's more realistic here. But getting to the, the, the similarities, getting to the realism, these attorneys treated that trial as a battle. It is. It is a battle. It is a war, regardless of how modest and how uh, to how serious. And an attorney has an ethical obligation to, quote, zealously represent their client, end quote. And both attorneys in this case, Scott on behalf of the, the Commonwealth, the people prosecuting, and Stewart on behalf of his, uh, his defendant, uh, you know, fulfilled that uh, to a T. And we, we have that obligation. And one more thing that's a, a similarity. At the very end, the jury's out. They're sitting around waiting for the jury. Well, at this day and age, you give the tip staff your cell number so you can be anywhere close. You don't have to sit in your office. But I actually started in the pre-cell phone days, so when the jury was out, you had to sit around your office drinking some coffee, playing cards, killing time, doing, doing anything but work, in my case, waiting for that phone to ring, and sometimes into the evening. And when that phone rang, that you were just told... Let's go. There's a verdict. You go over there and take the verdict, and and so that's uh, that, that's realistic. Uh, you know what? That's that's pretty much it in in terms of that. And, so and in you terms also of that had, analysis. you also had when you heard our wrestling podcast. There's something you wanted to tell. Yeah, everybody you were talking we to me about that the other somehow day. Somehow omitted Spider Breeze. Yeah, if I can have a couple more uh, bon moments Mots. before your next guest, Bon Watts, didn't omit it. Well, there's. That the, the studio wrestling, you guys talked about Pittsburgh Studio Wrestling, Rob Studio Wrestling here. Uh, there, there were a number of things. Um, there were Bruno Sammartino 
would periodically show off his strength by taking his manager, a foreign gentleman by the name of Rudy Miller. Miller would be wearing a suit. He'd sit on Bruno's back, and Bruno would do a dozen or so push-ups in the ring. I always thought that was pretty interesting and, uh, and, and unusual. Zach, you guys had mentioned Jumpin' Johnny DeFazio, and John, who now is in his late 70s, with a hip that he doesn't want to replace, so he walks with a real hitch. But he was he was an acrobat. He he was very athletic and, and very skilled, uh, very skilled wrestler. Allegheny County, where I reside, has an elected county council, probably the only elected body in the U.S. with two former wrestlers on it: Jumpin' Johnny, who's on there, and a guy by the name of Dr. Chuck Martoni. He's an educator who was known locally as the Mac Marvel. Uh, was. Was he, who was the one? He was the one that became the mayor of Swissvale? He was the mayor of Swissvale because yeah. he was from Swissvale, suburban Pittsburgh. Yeah. So he was the mass marvel. And one thing that you, um, and I have a lot more notes, but I could go on forever and I'm not going to do. Well, because you said something about Baseball Hall of Fame. Baseball Hall of Fame. I couldn't figure it out. The studio wrestling, everything was live. The studio audience was live. There were probably 50 people with a bunch of cardboard cutouts in the back row to make it seem like it was a lot bigger. <laughs> But uh, there was a company that sponsored studio wrestling for its run, I think, 59 to 72, American Heating, just a you know, heating and air conditioning company. Their live spokesman was one Pi Trainer, oh, a Pirate Hall a of Famer, pirate. a yeah. great pirate, who at the time was, uh, I think he died in 72. He died the last year studio he wrestling. He didn't train pies, though, but did he? he uh, no, but his, his, he would do the commercial. Very haltingly, not very, not very smoothly, but it would be. He would close with "Who can American?" Oh God! So with that, I'll close with my wrestling comments. Thanks for giving me the floor for a bit, guys. Yeah. Well, and honestly, by the time we're recording this, Veterans Day is either right around the corner or just happened. And we did not watch Brideshead Revisited, so we couldn't talk about it, but we can talk about the war, thankfully. Yeah, but but in honor of Veterans Day, salute those who have served and are serving. We do have a veteran with us down the end if he's awake. Yeah. Hey, wake up or they'll throw dirt on you. Okay. No, it's my grandfather, Joe... Is a World War II Navy veteran, 94 years young, and was part of the task force that helped capture the German submarine U-505 a few days before D-Day in the what mid-Atlantic or closer to the European part of Atlantic? Yeah, right uh, near near the mouth of the uh, Mediterranean, off the coast of Africa. There, off the coast of Africa, yeah, and, and that was June of fourth, 1944. Right, and you told me that. Had you guys not done that, where were you headed? You were headed to Normandy, right? Probably, yes. Okay, and you were on the USS Jenks, a destroyer escort, and uh, part of the task force, one of the, the big ship in that one was the carrier, the Guadalcanal. The CDE-65, right? yeah. Yeah. There were five DEs, uh, four diesel and one steam, and I was on a steam. And... Uh, the aircraft carrier had spotted this. Well, we went, we made a pass with depth charges and uh, hit it. And the uh, airplanes flying over could see that he, the, the uh, submarine was surfacing. He had damaged from some of our hits. So they come up and they were told to abandon ship and open the seacocks and they didn't. I guess it didn't complete it because it stayed afloat for a while. 
we picked up some prisoners and we had trained the captain on the carrier said that we were going to capture the next sub if possible. So the sub come up and he said not to use any heavy weapons, just uh, 20 millimeter uh, guns. And they were told to abandon ship and when they did we picked up some prisoners and this crew that was trained to intercept went aboard the submarine and start closing the seacocks to keep it uh, surfaced. Then in the, in the finding we found some Enigma equipment which was used to convert messages from Germany to tell where, what positions and what actions they were doing. This is supposed to save a lot of time ending the war. Yeah, because I remember you guys grabbed the code books too for the Enigma, not just the machinery yeah. itself, but and they were the, the current, the up-to-date ones, so that, you know, I know the British had done a good amount of code-breaking with it, but that really helped aid the further code-breaking with the Enigma, so you kind of had a window into what they were up to. Yeah, this U-505 uh, is now housed in, housed in the Chicago Science Center in Chicago. Yeah, and I've seen many of the pictures of you of uh, of it. And they, you went down there a couple times, didn't you? Yeah. What was it like to see that thing again, well, especially up close? Because it's <laughs> kind of tough living in. I mean, they're cramped for space, and you're underwater a lot. And when you see the clothes and all that, how how many days you have to get out of your clothing? It's not real sanitary neither. No. Let me step in. You said that your ship was chosen to tow that sub to where? I forget. No, no. Why your ship? Okay. Uh, we, we, we were going to tow because uh, of the negative equipment. They didn't want nobody to know this. So it was a big secret mission. So they had a seagoing tug who come to tow the sub to Bermuda where we would be uh, housed and and our ship, the others were all four diesel, we were steam, and we were faster than the others. So we accompanied the seagoing tug to go to Bermuda with the sub and, and, and all his valuable documents. Wasn't the Guadalcanal part of that? Like they towed it for a bit until the tug yes, came? Yeah, well, they weren't equipped for it. Just right. that, uh, it was filling with water, and by the time they got everything under control, but they had no speed, and it would have taken a long time to, to pull it wherever they wanted to go to get more information from it. See, there you go. Real history. Real, real history from a piece of real history. Now, another thing, uh -oh. if you want more information, go to your TV and look at U505 sometime. That'll give you the full story. Yeah, and if you're in the Chicago area, stop by the, stop by the museum. Which one is it, the... Science, Center. Science, Science and Industry. The Science and Industry Museum Center in Chicago. U505 is there. Tremendous exhibit. And um, our resident veteran, Joe Upsitnik's name, is. Who, who parenthetically did his training real close yeah, to Yeah, did his training now. at Samson, what is now yeah. Samson Air Force Base, but back then it was Navy Base right out on Seneca Lake. While my dad, who's from here, did his training in Alabama. I was going to say, you, did, you're, you told me your dad ended up in Alabama for his <laughs> training. So he's got his upstate New York roots. And so if you're in Chicago, go visit it. And 
honestly, whether or not this is before or after Veterans Day, do the do your country proud. Thank a veteran for what they've done because without men like him, we wouldn't be sitting here being idiots today. So kind of close on a serious. Well, don't note. blame him for that. Don't though. blame him for that. You know, you know, let him. We have the freedom to be idiots. Right. And indeed. Now it's shameless plug time, but you know what? Since our sponsor's here, I'm going to put him to work. So would you mind? No, no, because you want to update your plug a little bit. As I said earlier, um, I've been practicing this month 40 years. Uh, been admitted to practice for 40 years. I want to thank uh, the uh, Zach and Rob for uh, running my plugs, for announcing them. I've received a lot of response on my website and Facebook from people all over, uh, really all over the country. And as you guys grow, I'm going to grow, and I appreciate it. Um, The ad read there, my plug is always, from the U.S. Supreme Court to Alaska. That's not hyperbole. I've briefed a case and appeared before the Supreme Court and won that case. That case is one, if you want to look it up, it's... um, what the heck is it here? It's uh, Boyle versus Cohill, and it's been cited, and I checked the other day, in other cases, you mentioned in later cases, 1,647 times. So um, wow. I'm sort of proud of that. I actually have a, a copy of the transcript saved on my computer. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now, because okay. now, who, you told me last night, but who wrote the... Opinion. The late great Thurgood Marshall wrote the uh, the majority opinion. We have a play on him actually now coming to Jiva. Oh yeah, it's called Thurgood. Surprisingly, yes, it's been up all over. Um, and that goes to show. I, did, I argued the case in the eighties. It's been a while. In terms of the Alaska reference, about five years ago, I represented somebody and was admitted. The phrase is pro hoc vice, which is for that purpose only in the federal district court in Alaska. So when it's mentioned that uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court to Alaska, I've been there a lot of places in between, including way upstate New York, whatever county is adjacent to the St. Lawrence River and Thousand Islands up there. I had a uh, uh, represented somebody in a uh, civil matter that concluded, uh, I think, last year. But again, thanks, guys. As you grow, I'm going to grow. And uh, to me, you're, you're entertaining as hell. You're really and again, up. check out their Facebook Upsitnik and Associates on Facebook, UpsitniksLaw.com. It's O-P-S-I-T-N-I-C-K. For our resident sponsor and legal guru and our veteran of the best of the biggest foreign war of the past 80 years, and myself, Rob. I have to say that Mad Dogs Englishmen go out in the midday sun. We're going to go out in the cold November rain. And another thank you to Melinda for the little will figure for Halloween in the Buffy shirt. I can't say thanks enough for him. Go on. And on that one, we're going to get out of here, go back into the cold and rain because that's just where we are. Visit us. We've got all our stuff on our... We actually have a website coming soon. If you want to look at it, go ahead, but... Nothing's really up yet, although by the time this airs, it might be. Carnivalofrandomness.com. It is ours. All the stuff's going to be on there, so that's going to make a lot of uh, link posting a lot cleaner. But for Joe, for Al, for Rob, I'm Zach. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next time. And thank a veteran and donate to your VFWs.